Dana's and Becky's. Hardly a moment in my life goes by where I don't get asked about the show's closing theme song, Listen to Your Heart, by the phenomenal Edie Brickell. Where can I find it? Why can't I find it? I need a copy of it, please. I've looked everywhere. Please release it to the public. I love it so much, over and over. Unfortunately, this has not been possible until now. Go to donasktig.org and click on the Announcements tab to stream the complete recording of the song with courtesy from Edie Brickell herself. Enjoy. And now you can stop asking. Also, a reminder that I'm still on the road. I'll be in Jacksonville, Oregon, July 21st, Eugene, Oregon, July 22nd, Colorado Springs, September 25th, Breckenridge, Colorado, September 28th, Boulder, Colorado, September 29th, and Brooklyn, New York, November 4th at King's Theater. There's two shows. I believe the first one is sold out. I apologize again for having to move my taping from June to November, but because of the WGA strike, I had to move it to November. So go to tignotaro.com for all show links and ticket information. Now let's start the show. Can we get a little taste of what a chicken sounds like? Oh, God. Why am I walking myself right into this? It, I don't know. We, God, it was so long ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. <Little. laughs> She's Tig's like, I'll give him a little turkey on, gobble and I'll get him going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're hired. We will see oh, you at 30 Rock, yeah. son. Uh, God. <laughs> This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, and the jury is still out on my advice. My next guest is an actor who stars in films including the X-Men trilogy, Sonic the Hedgehog, and The Notebook, as well as the hit new comedy show, Jury Duty, the Emmy-nominated series Dead to Me, which earned him a Critics' Choice Award nomination, and the film Walk of Shame with yours truly, James Marsden, welcome to Don't Ask Tig. Hello, Tig. How are you? I am doing well. Way to finish those credits with the, the most important one. I appreciate that. Of course. Well, I mean, shame. I think that's where you got your um, big boost in your career was working in a film with me. That was when I went stratospheric. Yeah, where we, mm -hmm. did. we did. When we did. <laughs> yes. I was just sort of idling idling along <laughs> until a walk of shame and then all of a sudden we're just you know shot out of a cannon right onto this podcast <laughs> yeah you were born and raised in oklahoma i'd love to know more about what life was like for you growing up in those parts 
what was life like growing up in Oklahoma? You know, I'm very fond of my childhood, having grown up there. Mm -hmm. We were on the outskirts of suburbia of Oklahoma City, but just enough rural so that I could hop on my bike and go to trails and go fishing and things like that. So it was, I was surrounded by the outdoors. I got home from school and immediately just was outside, you know, which I don't think kids know what that is anymore. So very, yeah, very kind of modest. You know, we didn't didn't have much growing up in Oklahoma, but I had two brothers and a sister, and we were all very close. And, you know, it was like, uh, boy, I'm trying to think. Of, I'm trying to decide whether or not I lie to you and say mm. that it's way more interesting than it was. <laughs> or... Um, like that I was some rancher or something, you know, learning how uh, to lasso yeah. bulls and, you know, all that. But to, nope, I was just, um, just enough of the city part of Oklahoma City to feel like I wasn't really out in the sticks, but just far enough out that I could actually feel like I was in, at one with nature, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something unusual for kids today. Yeah. Yeah, and also yeah, when I was in middle school, that's when I discovered like acting, if you can call it that. I was trying to get stack my schedule in middle school mm -hmm. with like easy classes because you have your main ones like you know math and history and English and all that. And I was like drama. That sounds easy. Let's do that. And I was always a fan of SNL, and that was my dream is to be a regular on Saturday Night Live because I just wow. did goofy impressions and did accents and things and made people laugh. And James, you have to do some. Oh well, no, you know they, they weren't great. Well, this is they were a show great called by Don't Oklahoma Ask Standards. <laughs> this is you know low stakes. Give me, Let's gonna... hear a little something for your SNL audition. Oh God, what would I have done? I think I was just emulating everyone I was seeing at the time. It was like I was just doing Dana Carvey bits. I was doing you know the Church Lady, and I was doing. George W. and all that. Basically, I wasn't doing my own stuff. I was just ripping, ripping them off. Um, what would I have done? What would I have? I don't know if I. Let's hear some George W. Come on. Well, well, well. No, it wasn't George W. It was a George Senior. Okay. It was when he was doing the uh, wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. That whole thing. <laughs> so you were you were a big Dana Carvey fan. Yeah, I was doing him and chopping broccoli and all that. You yeah, know, it was just. Yeah, I think that was my kind of time period for SNL. It was like him and Chris Farley and Adam Sandler. And Did you ever try to audition? Um, I do have a vague memory of, in Oklahoma, me and my buddy that we used to do like kind of comedy bits together for drama class. We heard that Saturday Night Live were like doing like a tour of the United States looking for people and they were stopped in Oklahoma City and like show up and come and audition. So I remember doing that. It, it, this is either a dream and it didn't really happen <laughs> or it really happened. And I think, what, what did we do? I think they just said, just show us anything. Yeah. And uh, I, I, <laughs> I think we literally just pretended we were chickens. We just <laughs> sat around, we just clucked like chickens that were <laughs> discovering one another and sort of like this weird mating ritual. And they didn't hire you? <sighs> Shockingly, no. <laughs> they did not. I don't You're know like, why. Fine, I'll just join the X Men trilogy. I'll just go off and do that. Right, right. Bill's <laughs> recognized my real talent with this chicken bit that I'm doing. I don't know why we did that. It was like, wow, we really picked the wrong thing to lead with. 
Speaking of the uh, junior and senior bushes, you have a place in Texas? I have a place in Texas. I lived in Texas many years. You did? Where? Outside of Houston. I lived in Austin. I lived outside of Dallas. You have family there? What was the draw? I have family. Okay. And I grew up part of the time in Texas. Yeah. But we still go back. The reason I was drawn, I I took a liking to Austin specifically was because it did... I had a lot of friends that lived there, and they were always encouraging me to come visit. So I was for like the last twenty years. I'd go get out on mm-hmm. the lake and Lake Austin, and it was just like wow. This reminded me of the good parts of growing up in Oklahoma, but much mm-hmm. prettier. I mean, Oklahoma is beautiful; it can be beautiful, but Austin and Texas Hill Country was just really, really special. And it's a two-hour flight from LA, and so I've been visiting for twenty years and. Just playing with the idea that can you live somewhere else outside of L.A. and still work in this business? And the answer is yes, because we're always, I don't know, we have a tendency to lead nomadic lifestyles anyway. Was it hard to actually put roots down there? Mm -hmm. Did you feel like, oh, I live here? Or did you feel like, oh, I'm away from home in this other home? The latter. I mean, Uh it's, you know, I'm there plenty of the year. uh, But when I'm there, you're right. It was like, what's my life here? Because mm-hmm. I've lived in L.A. for 30 years now. You can't inner tube all day in no. Austin. And it's a very leisurely city. Yeah. It's very yeah. like cold beer, barbecue. Oh, you know, I know it, sir. Get some country music going, get out on the boat and, uh, you know. You like country music? Uh, I do. I grew up with country music. I was in a country Me band too. for a little bit. Yeah. What do you play? Um, I play guitar and I sing. Well, yeah, I can't I was... wait to get our... Uh... A country band going. Do you like new country, old country? You like it both? I'm like prime country on XM mm. Satellite. Oh, like, yeah. That's yeah. like 90s country, like Tim sure. McGraw. George Strait. Like George yeah. Strait, Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks. Mm-hmm. Grew up with Garth Brooks. Both of us yeah. went to Oklahoma State and Stillwater. Yeah. And in fact, my band in high school and into college, all we did is Garth Brooks covers. Love me some Garth. And Garth's great. Yeah. And my ex-wife, who I'm still very, very close with, she's like my bestie, her father wrote Colin Baton Rouge, that Garth Brooks song. That is my favorite Garth Brooks song. Are you kidding? Really? I love that song so much. I'm gonna send oh you gosh. I'm gonna send you his demo that he played for Garth. It's so different than how the song turned out. Because a lot of times his name's Dennis Lindy. He also wrote Goodbye Earl for the Dixie Chicks. Oh my gosh. He was a legend. He's not with us anymore, but he was an incredible songwriter. But he was kind of like this character he took on these characters when he wrote these songs and sometimes Uh intimidate the artists a lot of his songs weren't sing-songy ballads they were kind of like Warren Zevon and kind of Randy Newman Mm -hmm. structures and stuff anyway the demo of that is so lo-fi and simple and he's playing a kazoo on it at some point you'll you'll love it but now you go to an LSU game yeah. The entire stadium is singing Colin Baton Rouge, and it's oh, pretty cool to my, see. Oh, yeah. my. I had no idea. Yeah. And I have family out in Louisiana, Mississippi, mm-hmm. all that. And nice. uh, But, yeah, that's my hands-down favorite yeah. Garth Brooks song. I love it so much. Love that tune. But, yeah, country music's always been something I've been a fan of. Did you grow up? Did you Forgive me. I should know this, but did you grow up Mississippi, in Texas? Mississippi, Texas. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hard to avoid the uh, country music influence coming it from those parts. It is very hard. It's all over there. You either grew up hating it 
Mm-hmm. Or you grow up embracing it to some degree, and or you grow up hating it, and then you get older and you go, "Oh, this sounds good again." Kind of good. <laughs> yeah, you go out on a boat, have, right? Yeah, <laughs> have a drink in the Put sunshine. Put on some Clint Black. Yeah. And some yes, sir. Vince Gill. Yes, sir. Oh man, yeah, I, I do enjoy all that. Yes, yeah, so I'll I'll get the guitar out occasionally when I'm in Austin, and we'll have little mm-hmm. sing-alongs here and there. Well, I really can't wait for our band. Now, James, <laughs> let's talk about your latest project, Jury Duty. Yes. It's gotten a lot of buzz. For my listeners who have not seen it, would you explain what it's about? Sure. So it's a TV show. It's as if you took The Office mm-hmm. and The Truman Show and sort of fused them together with a backdrop of jury duty. So you have essentially a whole cast of actors, improv artists, myself, who's I'm playing myself, a sort of heightened, entitled Hollywood. Did you do any Hollywood. chicken No, 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 no. They didn't ask for it. I offered it up, but they were saying, <laughs> we don't need it. We're good. Maybe. They're lost. Yep, they're lost. And one guy that thinks the whole thing is real, and it's all fake. So you're thinking at this point, if you haven't seen the show, is this a prank show? Are they just fooling him for a couple of weeks of his life? And I wasn't interested in doing it if it was going to be anything mean-spirited or cruel. Because three weeks is a long time to keep somebody in the dark. Yeah. One person in the dark mm-hmm. and the rest of us mm-hmm. are following these scripts. So there were scripts, but there was no scripted dialogue. It was like okay. comedy beats. Mars then stands up and tries to get out of jury duty by saying he's a distraction. Um, Todd walks in wearing chair pants, you know, stuff like that. And then we get to kind of play with it on top. of. So that's basically it. It's they've said, we're not doing a prank show. We want to see if we can create a hero's journey for somebody. Mm -hmm. So the idea was we're going to surround this guy who doesn't know the whole thing is fake with absurd scripted circumstances and see how he reacts. I mean, we kind of threw a moral obstacle course at him and he just... You know, he he passed with flying colors. Not that that was our intention. It was just, let's hoist this guy on our shoulders at the end of this and celebrate his humanity, but in doing it in a really kind of unconventional way. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to bamboozle him for two and a half weeks. And what was most rewarding to you about doing this type of show? Well, I was excited about getting in a room with improv artists and playing because I'd never Mm -hmm. really exercised that muscle before. Mm -hmm. But... Christopher Guest was a huge hero of mine. I mean, I, all, my dream would be to, if I didn't get cast from the chickens to be a regular on SNL, my next goal would to see if Christopher Guest <laughs> would cast me in Waiting for Guffman or Best in Show or one of these other great pieces where it's just like you have a structure and then you get to kind of just play with it and yeah. stay in that character and throw everything up against the wall. So that was very gratifying to get into a room and mess around. But what I wasn't prepared for was the sort of wild animal in a cage element of this guy who's there thinking that the whole thing is real with real stakes. So it was this balancing act of like playing the kind of goofy, entitled, petulant, brat, Hollywood celebrity. But then in addition to that, you're trying to get him to the finish line. You're trying to kind of steer him through this this sort of maze of absurdity. And uh, hopefully by the end of it, he has a good time and he doesn't have a full-on mental breakdown. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that was the most rewarding thing, to be honest. What was the most challenging part of the whole process? There were moments where 
we were never aiming at him for the jokes. Yeah. You know, we were aiming at each other. Yeah. I don't want him to feel like he's ever the butt of a joke. Right. And there were moments where even though he was on the periphery, we were doing stupid, foolish things that sometimes would elicit a response from him of like disappointment. He was so empathic. Like if we were embarrassing somebody because it was Mm -hmm. scripted, he felt bad for that person. So it was like, you didn't want him to feel bad for this person. But that was the hardest thing was like, I really struggled with that every day. Like, boy, what is, what are we doing to this guy? You know, this is his reality. He's getting to be friends with us. Yeah. We're getting to be friends with him Mm -hmm. and like really caring about each other, having genuine laughs and forging these real relationships. And he thinks, I mean, I was named James, but everyone else had a fake name. And then at the end of it, he's like, wait, so you're not really Ron? You're not really (laughs) Jeannie? You're not. Uh, So it just was kind of like, you just had to cross your fingers and hope that our endeavor Mm -hmm. to create this hero's path for somebody that, that he'll end up feeling it and that he will have enjoyed the experience. Right, right. That was the hardest part. And actually, as you go on, the Jenga tower gets taller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you get closer to the end, the stakes are much greater because if we screw it up now, right. then Amazon has two and a half weeks of footage that they can't use. So it was kind of wild. Wow. Yeah. Any advice you would give your younger self just starting out as an actor as we almost transition into our advice questions? Right, yeah. Uh, boy, Um don't force anything. Mm-hmm. A good performance is never going to come from really muscling your way through it. <laughs> Have good fun. To know. Uh-huh. Have a great time. When I look back on the things that worked, yeah, it was because I was just having a blast. And that's jury duty is a perfect prime example of that. I was having so much fun. Are you good at giving advice? Uh, depends on the topic, okay. but uh, yeah, I, I typically I, I feel like I'm a pretty good friend that way. But I would never try to do something, give somebody advice where I'm out of my jurisdiction. I would not. No. Okay. Well, you play a juror who is less than perfect. Mm. Maybe you can still help. (laughs) Well, (laughs) are you saying the jury's still out on that? Jury's still out. (laughs) Maybe you can help with the first listener. Okay. Cece writes, I have lived in my apartment in Manhattan for four years years. In the past six months, I've received three postal letters for the former tenant for jury summons, all with an urgent notification. I haven't opened the letters and left them in my mailbox. Should I try to contact the person this was originally addressed to? Should I contact the local government? What is my civic duty here? You get a lot of uh, government officials listening to your show. That's the only, uh, my podcast, my stand-up, everything. It's all government officials. Okay. Well, yes, you contact that gentleman or or wonderful woman and you let them know. I was going to say, pitch him because he's probably just going to pitch him anyway. Well, yeah, I was also going to say, just do the very lazy thing of return to sender. I mean, you know, you can just write that on an envelope and drop it in the mail and you've... How old is this person? I don't know. They don't disclose their age? Because if they're no. under 30, they don't even know what drop it in the mail means. Right. You said that it'd be lazy, but that actually sounds like to mm-hmm. a Gen Zer like a lot of work. Okay. But I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Locate a pen. What's a pen? <laughs> <laughs> right on the envelope where it's addressed to the old tenant 
and write off to the side, return to sender, underline it. If you don't know where to do it, Google where to write return to sender, and then Google what a mailbox looks like, and then walk out of your house (laughs) and drop that into the mailbox. She's in New York, right? Yeah. Well, there's pigeons there, too. You could attach it to a carrier pigeon. Well, there you go. James and I... We're going way back in time. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the days of classic country. So that's how you do it. I don't ever done the return to sender thing. You just write on the envelope, return to sender, and then drop it in one of those blue mailboxes that are on the side of the street. Or even in your own mailbox. Right. Okay. And then 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 they return it. Yeah. And then if they don't, at least your conscience is free. Oh, and you can also write on there, no longer at this address. Can I write that on all the junk mail that I get in my mailbox? You can write it on a wall. You can write yeah. anything you want anywhere. You might get in some trouble. but yeah, you I'm going to write it on a wall. I'm going to spray <laughs> okay. paint it on a wall. <laughs> Return to sender. That's a good plan. <laughs> Cece, James and I find you guilty of not forwarding mail. You are sentenced to listen to the rest of this episode, which will return right after this break. James, don't go anywhere. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Janae Desmond-Harris, a.k.a. Dear Prudence, and I want you to tell me about all your problems. Each week on Slate's Dear Prudence podcast, I'm here to tackle your questions about relationships, sex, work, family, and beyond, all with the help of an expert guest. We'll help you navigate it all. Whether you're a teen dealing with parents, an adult looking to spice up your sex life, or you just need some validation that you're not losing it, we're here to listen and to offer some guidance. Need help? Just ask Prudy. New episodes every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
And we're back. James, our next question is from a bride-to-be. Deirdre writes, Dear Tig and special guest, my fiancé and I are just starting to plan a wedding. We have many polyamorous friends but are not made of money. What is the best way to ask our polyamorous friends to only bring one guest, especially when this request won't be true for all our polyamorous friends? Sometimes we are friends with a whole polycule. Thanks for your help. Okay, this is going to need some explanation for me. I'm not familiar with a polycule. Are you? Polycule. Is that a play on the word molecule? What is that? Polycule. I'm guessing it's a bunch of people that are in a relationship together. I don't but know. Is that polyamory? Is it like an open relationship with several people? Is that what po- that yeah. is? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Am I selling the idea that it's confusing to me? (laughs) (laughs) And then I don't practice this on my (laughs) day-to-day. What is this weird concept that I secretly do? Yeah. Okay, so wait, they're trying to plan a wedding for themselves? Yeah, but they have all these polyamorous friends, so then all of a sudden it becomes a circus of how many guests they're inviting to their house. No, no, no. You still, no matter if you exercise polyamory relationships or not, you should be allowed one guest. Yeah, it's just a plus one. doesn't matter what the nature of your relationships. You just have a plus one. Yeah. I mean, there were times where I was dating casually. Hundreds of people, the same. Four four (laughs) different people. And if I got invited to a wedding, I wouldn't be like, can I have plus four? But I'm in love with all of them. It's going to be strange to only share it with one of them. I think I thought I was. (laughs) That is an interesting one. I mean, but also... What do the polycules expect? <laughs> I There's, think they want it all. They got it all. I guess the bride and groom are not polyamorous. Otherwise, they would be marrying a host of people, right? It would yeah. Just be, but they have lots of polyamorous friends. Seems like we <sighs> need to figure out what this is before we can even guide anybody. I agree. I feel ill-equipped to answer this. I feel like because I'm in the LGBTQ world that mm. I should know all this, but I don't. Even though it's not necessarily bi or gay or trans. It's specific to LGBTQ, right. If anything's gender or sexuality, usually it's like, come on into our group. Maybe maybe it just depends on the bride and groom's intentions. Mm -hmm. Maybe if they're wanting to open up their mind to exploring polyamory on the day that they give their vows, <laughs> maybe they do allow a couple extra guests. But I don't want to be presumptuous to say that that's what they're exploring. I don't think they are. Yeah, I think if just buy the books, just you get a plus one. That's it. You get a plus one, all right? You get a plus one. That's an easy one. Deirdre, weddings are tricky, but congratulations to you and your fiancé. And keep us updated if you add a, a plus one to your marriage. <laughs> James, this next question was sent in by a listener named Fiona. Fiona writes, how do I handle my 13-year-old daughter's tantrums? She's going through a lot of changes and finding life a bit confusing, but the tantrums are hard to cope with. She didn't have them at two years old, and I think this is harder. Help. (laughs) I only have two nearly seven-year-old boys Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where i think of is that down the road of having tantrums and maybe maybe not maybe maybe not i mean i have two boys and a girl 
and my oldest boy is 22. Mm-hmm. My girl is 17. You know, there's a lot going on there for boys and girls, but I mm-hmm. say specifically girls, and this is, you know, through my ex-wife kind of teaching me about it. Change mm-hmm. their bodies and hormones, and also and, the time of what's going on now oh, in, the, in the, world. the world, and your your self worth is you feel like it's measured off of social media, and I just I'm like God, I just hate that for for young girls. It's a bit I don't know what the tantrum is about. Mm-hmm. I do know that these storms come by, and the storms pass. Mm-hmm. It's usually all good at the end of it, and finding a balance of Let's talk about your feelings while they're screaming mm-hmm. and throwing across the room. Right. But also, you can't be screaming and throwing things and hitting people and like, no, you can't mm-hmm. do that. So I guess it's just a tricky thing. It depends on the personality of the kid and allowing them to, to have these tantrums. Or if you're going to have the tantrum, go have it in private. Well, you know, it's funny because I was imagining what would my instinct be just based on not having this experience yet our big punishment in our house is all right you're gonna have to go sit by the front door Mm -hmm. and they are terrified of that and (laughs) they want to avoid sitting by the front door at all costs but when i think about what if it escalated Mm -hmm. i just wonder if and and i hear what you're saying you don't want to get too like I feel this and I think this yeah. when somebody's losing their mind. But my instinct would be, do you have nature around you? Mm-hmm. It might be really nice and calming. And this might be some hippie side of me. But to go sit by an ocean, to go take a walk in the woods. Oh, you're right. Or go if there's a big piece of land or pasture to lie mm-hmm. down in and just look at the sky and talk to your child. Yeah. And I'm not saying it like it's as easy as that. I, this is totally coming from somebody that has seven-year-old boys that are scared mm-hmm. to sit by the front door. That would be my instinct is to try and go talk to them in wide open nature. Yeah. Try and connect there. I agree with that. I also think it's important to see if they want to speak to a therapist, somebody mm. that isn't directly related to the family. Great advice. Great and advice. See if the therapist would come to the beach with you and <laughs> lie down and look at the sky. That's really smart because sometimes it's just like getting them out of that space. Mm-hmm. I'm like, go move the legs, move the furniture around, go walk. Well, and to see that the world is bigger than Mm -hmm. what's going on right under your nose. Yeah. And that's looking at a sky so huge or an ocean so huge or a forest so Mm -hmm. deep in the woods. And so... It's a reminder that your problems aren't as as big as maybe they feel. yeah. Yeah. And I've truly gone and would lie down in a field and stare up at the sky. Mm-hmm. I remember once when I was heartbroken. I mean, that is what I did to yeah. just kind of take in yeah. and deal with my emotions. They say to get in touch with the earth too, like where mm-hmm. you're actually laying on yeah. the grass, where you're, you're yeah. feeling the earth underneath you. Mm-hmm. It actually mm-hmm. does something physiologically to you and emotionally too. I think the other thing too is, and this is a tricky one because it depends on what the tantrum's like and what they're yeah. going to fit about. But give yourself permission to not have to fix it. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, 
let, let her get it all out. Yeah. I feel like as parents, we always feel like we have to create a solution or yeah. provide a solution. And sometimes it's just like, let this just run its course mm-hmm. and be a quiet, supportive presence next to her. And she'll remember that. Fiona, James and I are both parents. So that was some expert advice, I would say. Thanks for writing in and all of the best to you and your, your daughter. James, before I ask this last question, do you smoke weed? I promise it's relevant. I, I, I don't. I've never been much of a weed smoker, but what I have discovered recently is mm-hmm. a specific strain of, of sativa or whatever it is that actually helps me sleep in the form of like a gummy. I don't, I don't take any of it to like take my brain yeah. to places where I can yeah. write more interesting stuff or, or have yeah. more laughs in a conversation. The application for me is always to chill me out, turn the brain off and go to sleep. <laughs> Same. And it's been great to not have to take anything else. Yeah. So Sarah in DC writes, Hello, Tig and guest. I am an almost 50 happily married lesbian mother of two. I work part-time as a pediatrician and have a great village of friends. I consider myself medium fun. I have so far never tried marijuana, and I'm ready to do so. It is legal where I live. Could you suggest a perfect scenario for my first, maybe only, experience? I will do whatever you suggest. (laughs) Wait, careful there. She (laughs) will do whatever you suggest. Okay. This person feels like my speed. Medium fun. Yeah. Well, just like, okay, I I don't do drugs. I'm ready mm. to try it. The robot is ready to right. let loose. Tell me what like to take. It doesn't sound like you're ready. It doesn't sound like it. Sounds like you're already giving yourself a, a you're already walking into paranoia land. Um, like <laughs> I get that feeling though, because. I guess she's like, I need to maybe loosen up a little bit and Mm -hmm. got a village of friends. That's great. I wonder if they all smoke. Or even, you know, I'm not a pot smoker, but my wife, Stephanie, and I went to Amsterdam and we wanted to have Mm. the typical go to Amsterdam and buy weed and get high. Sure. And (laughs) we, (laughs) neither of us are pot smokers. And we... We got our drugs, we went to our hotel room, we smoked it, and we turned into cartoon versions of high people. We were in so much pain laughing. We were crying so hard. We could barely breathe. And it was the most fun. And then we went back to Amsterdam a year later. We bought pot again, and we tried to recreate the moment. But we didn't know what strain we had purchased the mm. first time. And the second one, we just were sitting out next to one of the canals. And we just turned to each other and said, I don't want to do this ever again. It was <laughs> such a different experience <laughs> from the first time. Like truly uh, yeah. gasping for air. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so yeah. fun. So I guess my suggestion would be if your spouse is interested or one of your medium fun friends in your <laughs> in your village i would say do it with somebody that is your silliest friend that's open to doing it and stephanie and i laugh very hard without any pot on a daily basis we destroy each other find the person that will destroy you and have a grand old time yeah. that's what i suggest 
Great advice. Yes, I would say if you're the medium fun person in your group, I would find a friend in your village that is the most giggly, the most easy to laugh, just positive, have a great time. It's so important the like the sort of tone that mm-hmm. you carry with you when you step into that world, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want yeah. someone with positivity <laughs> and like perpetually grinning <laughs> to do that with. And maybe you you know, that maybe there's an old movie from the 80s or 90s or whatever that you guys share that you always thought was funny. Maybe put that on, too. Yeah. Go rent a hotel room or something and just yeah. watch a stupid movie. Get and into costume. Put costumes on and then take buy it. Buy some then, junk food. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Get <laughs> some Twinkies and Doritos. and Go have the dumbest <laughs> time yeah. you could possibly have. Yeah. yeah. Without any expectation. Don't put expectations on it. Like, I'm supposed to be laughing or I'm supposed to be listening to this music or I'm supposed to be just nothing matters. It's a free day. Even if you don't laugh that hard, you'll at least laugh at how you didn't get that high and you're sitting in a hotel room with Twinkies and a bad movie on. And that'll make you laugh probably. Yeah, it'll make you laugh. And go easy, maybe kind of baby steps into the dosage. I remember mm-hmm. the first time I smoked, I was 21 or something. And uh-huh. the person that, that introduced me to it was my future wife. But uh-huh. she was my wife at the time. And she was actually pretty good at it. She was like, yeah. okay, we're going to have a joint. And I hear you smoke this. I'm going to go to the bathroom. And when I come back, we're going to have some fun. <laughs> and she went to the bathroom and I took 10 hits off of this <laughs> joint, thinking that you smoke it like a cigarette. And I was... Out of my mind. Yeah. So maybe take the baby steps of dosage. Yeah. I can't wait to hear how that turns out. Sarah, I'm not sure why you asked me, but that's why the show is called Don't Ask Tig. Happy 420. James, you played an actual superhero, Cyclops, Mm -hmm. in the X-Men movies. So the last segment I've selected, especially for you, is one I call Don't Ask Your Heroes. Everyone always says, don't meet your heroes, but what about asking your heroes for advice? Don't Ask Your Heroes is the part of the show where we imagine what your hero might have to say about a particular question that's on your mind. So James, you might have more than one, but if you had to name just one person, who would you say is your hero? Uh, I mean, I, I have a lot of different kinds of heroes, but uh, mm-hmm. I would say like my, my ex-wife taught me a lot about how to be a good person in this world and how to be a good father and how to, how to participate in a life in a really great way. And sometimes mm-hmm. it can be in a very simple way. So she's been great for me and uh, I owe a lot of what I've learned in life to her. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we started really young, and um, like I said, we're still very, very close. But um, other heroes? Well, there's like industry heroes, like people that you looked up to as far as their work and things like that. And um, thank you. I always loved Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. He seemed like a guy who could do drama really brilliantly, but also had a sense of humor and could do comedy as well. And then he had a whole other life outside of this business. Yeah, and he was very happily married and had his charity and I, I don't know i just always liked him did you know paul no i i had never met him no uh-huh well if you could ask him right one advice related question what would you ask him if i could ask paul newman mm-hmm. uh advice related question 
Uh, <laughs> I'm better at giving the advice. <laughs> Boy, how do you um, cope with aging? Yeah, what's your secret? Mm-hmm. I think he was famously known for sticking his head in a giant bucket of ice water every morning. Wow, it's getting popular with all the polar plunging that's going on. Uh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. the, the cold plunge stuff. Yeah. yeah. What is the most graceful way to accept getting older? What do you think he would say? I think he would say, just keep getting older for as long as you can. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he'd say. <laughs> stick your head in a bucket of ice water? Yeah, stick your head in a bucket of ice water. Maybe don't take yourself so seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the advice I would give to somebody. Mm-hmm. Don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We just go through life worrying about everything. Well, that goes back to the, you know, go lie down in the at the beach and yeah. go lie in a pasture and yeah. go walk through the deep woods. and Let Mother Nature coddle you and cradle you a bit. Yeah. Well, James... I couldn't agree more, first of all. And second of all, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show and to see you again. That's great. It's good to see you, too. That was so much fun. I yeah. talk to you for another couple hours. I know. I was very lost in the episode, and I was surprised when it... when It, uh, it felt like we were just laying on the beach somewhere, didn't it? It felt like in a, right. in a kind of meandering little meadow, that staring is right. up at blue skies. Uh <laughs> I'm going to well, miss this. What am I going to do to uh, calm myself again? I'm going to actually take uh, a walk, take a little into walk. the woods. Or maybe we could go uh, lie down in a pasture in Oklahoma and listen to some Garth Brooks and just chill out. I was going to say, you know, what people do in the <laughs> pastures of Oklahoma is they go find the old cow turds that have yeah. fossilized and they find mm-hmm. little mushrooms growing out of those cow turds. Yeah, And you take that mushroom, and I guess this is probably not something, anything I should be condoning. This is probably illegal. <laughs> but if you really want to turn up the volume on the color spectrum and, and all that while you're laying in the field. Yeah. Isn't that crazy that that would be illegal to get mushrooms off of poop? Yeah. Like, how is that possibly written in a rule book somewhere? You're yeah, going to jail if you take mushrooms off of cow poop mm-hmm. and put it in your mouth and then see crazy things yeah all right so i don't think that's up to us to tell people to do it or not to do it there's poop out there with mushrooms we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna listen to we're gonna listen to baton rouge we're gonna listen to baton rouge and we're gonna experiment with some strains of uh poop shrooms like the good parents that we are uh, James, is there anything you would like to uh, mention? Retract. Before, <laughs> anything you'd like to retract or add to before uh, we uh, head out I of think here? I've, I think I've added plenty. Um, no, that's been it's been lovely. It's so great seeing you, and that was a fun chat, and we'd love to do it again. Love to have you and loved having you, and hope to see you, see you again soon. Walk of shame, too. Yeah. Walk of shame, too. Bye. <laughs> Bye.
Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Ouellette and Shana Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson, Derek Ramirez, Josh Savageo, and Evan Clark. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 